Welcome to the Citizens Report. It's the 11th of September. I'm Robert Barwick and I'm joined today by a Citizens Party founder and leader, Craig Isherwood. Welcome, Craig. Yeah, thanks, Robbie. And it is the 11th of September, 19th anniversary of um, the attack. Yes. We're getting old, Craig. It must be. I can remember exactly what, was I, what I was doing back when yeah, those yeah. planes hit the tower and I think it's, uh, a lot of people can remember that too. Of course. And, and, and as we know, apart from the tragedy of it, it was, it was also a miracle. Mm. Um, two, two planes made three buildings fall at free fall. Um, but anyway, we won't get into, that was a tempting discussion to have, but I'll wait till Jeremy Beck's on the show before we have that one. <laughs> um, let's get, we have a couple of other subjects today. So first, propping up the financial system will not save the economy and meet the gang sabotaging Australia's hardworking exporters. Propping up the financial system will not save the economy. And Craig, what, what this is about is that's exactly what um, so much of government policy at the moment, because we're in a terrible economic crisis, it's geared to the financial system, not the economy. And the, um, we're going to talk about some of, the, some of the things the RBA, for instance, and APRA are doing. The RBA, the RBA is arranging, rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic, right? Yeah, Robbie, I think it goes way back to the Chifley years, believe it or not, even further back than we usually talk about in the 70s. But look, when Chifley failed in his bid to attempt to nationalise the banks because he saw that the banks were out of control back then, that the need to control public credit through the Commonwealth Bank was the way that you build the economy and continue to build the economy out of the war. Well, ever since then, you know, he saw the privatisation, complete privatisation of the Commonwealth Bank in yep. the 1990s. You know, what the policies we're dealing with today are the destructive policies of the destruction of public credit. Yep. And we talk a lot about this. We talk about the need for a national bank. We've got national bank legislation that we've written specifically to deal with this policy issue of public credit. Of course we are in this mess right now. It's because every single policy has not got to do with the interests of the people or the public good. It's got to do with simply the interest of massive financial, uh, you know, private they've created this. They've, they've created this massive financial sector which makes money by just passing money around. It's speculative. And now they've yeah. got to prop it up. That's right. And, and that's, and what, that's what we're dealing with here. Um, and some of the details make you quite angry, actually. So, for instance, last week the Reserve Bank raised what's called its term funding facility to the private banks, which is the, the, the private banks can borrow from the Reserve Bank three-year loans at 0.25% interest, right? Um, so that the, that the Reserve Bank interest, the cash rate. That was initially a $90 billion injection back in March, now they've raised it to $200 billion. Mm. And the expectation is that the Reserve Bank's doing that for the, pri the private banks so that they can support the economy. Um, except they're not. I'll give you one example. So also in March as part of this, there was a coronavirus small medium enterprise guarantee scheme announced. And this is a scheme whereby the government said we will guarantee half of each loan that the banks make to small businesses to help get them through this crisis, right? So 50% of each loan is government guaranteed. I mean, for the banks, that is, they've already got free money from the Reserve Bank effectively, right? That's as good as it gets, except, I mean, like full guarantee is better, but still, that's, that's brilliant. But Robbie, just to, you know, I looked at that 
So I thought, oh, that's interesting. But these are under the same lending conditions as normal. There's no special exemptions for these lending conditions. The only thing is that the loan is guaranteed. So if you're looking, as they were back in March, of this extended period of not knowing what the heck's going to happen with the coronavirus, you know, many businesses said, oh, well, you know, I don't think we're going to take this risk. And the banks basically said no also to any banks, any businesses that did take that risk. And the problem is their lending conditions shouldn't have been as normal. No. Right? The banks are getting a quarter of a percent interest loans from the RBA. They could have given the small businesses a great deal to help them out, tide them over, 50% guaranteed by the government. Because this was supposed to be a $40 billion scheme, Craig. Right? And think about all this. There's, now, Martin North from Digital Finance Analytics does a, a regular survey of households around Australia. His survey is bigger than the Australian Bureau of Statistics survey for the unemployment rate. So when you hear an unemployment rate every month, that's based on a survey that the ABS does of 30,000 households. Martin North does a survey of 52,000 households, right? One third of the small businesses in his survey say they expect to go under, right? One third. This is carnage out there in small business. $40 billion would have been at, at really good concessional loans, would have been great for them. Robert, right? This is what I'm talking about, this idea of public credit and what Chifley was talking about when he wrote his dissenting reports in the 1930s. I mean, that's a long time ago now, but the principles remain the same. If you have a, ba a private banking system, the private banking system's never going to look after the no, public good because no. their interest is only profit-driven. And we've seen a Royal Commission, we've seen the corruption, so it makes no... Is, there's no surprises here that the banks are hanging on to that money simply because they have no interest in looking after the public good or the public interest. And that's why we, again, support the idea of a public bank. Yeah, there's no interest in, emphasis no on interest. interest in the public good. Yeah. <laughs> their, their interest is in, is in themselves. Because what, how much have they, of that one point, of that 40 billion have they lent? 1.7 billion. Yeah, exactly. And this is, this is, right. this is what the private banks do months. in any yep. period of economic turmoil. Now, so what are they using it for? Okay, well, here's what they're using it for. Um, it's not for more capital against... The other thing they're not doing is, is for more capital against their shaky loans because remember that these same banks have taken... have let 800,000 customers defer their repayments. And that's a big... That's, that's a lot of customers, right? That's it's, um, over $300 billion in loans have had their payments deferred. So the banks have had to absorb that in some way. But it turns out they haven't had to absorb it through this kind of money. APRA has changed the rules to allow the banks to absorb it on paper without having to, to, to put up more money, right? In fact, we were just discussing this this morning, the, the latest rules as of yesterday, APRA's made a series of rule changes for the banks where the rule changes are all designed to tell the banks, don't just pretend there's nothing wrong, right? You don't have to meet these rules that, that um, prove that you're solvent. We'll let you change all those and pretend nothing's wrong. And that's saved tens of billions, the banks tens of billions of dollars in things like extra capital that they should be holding up holding against their, their, their shakier loans. So they haven't had to do that. What they've been doing is using the money, and now they're being directed by APRA and the RBA to use the money to buy government bonds, both federal government bonds and state government bonds. So they're buying at quarter of a percent, and they're buying bonds at whatever they, the going rate is, 2% or, or something like that, right? And that spread, they're, they're making a profit on the yield. Now, the logic is when a bank buys government bonds, that's a safe investment for the bank, and it is. And so the, 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 the um, APRA saying to the banks, you know, you know the, you've, got to have, you've got to have some money in safe investment. But the other side of it is, oh, this is how governments can um, uh, build infrastructure, right? 
what I found ironic about it, Craig, is that um, there was a rule before bank deregulation in 1982 that it was called the 30-20 rule, that all the banks then, for, for decades, the banks in Australia had to hold 30% of their assets in government bonds. And that was good for them, it was safety for the banks, but it also, yes, helped, the, it helped fund um, government spending on things like infrastructure. The difference is between then and now is this money that the banks are using to buy government bonds now is money that the RBA is printing. Mm. This is quantitative easing. Mm. This is what they, and, and one commentator called this, getting them to print money, give to the private banks to get the private banks to give to the governments is quantitative easing by stealth. Back before, they didn't do that before 1982, that was real money the banks were putting up. Right, right? We've, been, we've been fighting for a Commonwealth, new Commonwealth Bank, Commonwealth, Commonwealth National Credit Bank, we call it. Oh, what, now for 30, 30 years? And every single time that you put this up to some politicians and some other people, they say, oh, you mean you believe in printing funny money? <laughs> well, guess what? This is exactly what the RBA is doing. They're printing funny money, but it's not being channeled through a public institution with the benefit of the public in mind. It's going purely into the private banks to prop themselves up and then yeah, back That's to right. It. They're printing money to prop up a system. What we have t talked about for 30 years is creating credit against future productivity. Exactly, assets. Right, very different proposal that you could use a national bank for. Um, so this is, that's one aspect of this. But the other aspect is, that's different, is what is the state of our economy? So bef before 1982, we had an economy that was 20% manufacturing. I think agriculture was something like 6% of the economy then. And financial services was maybe one or 2% of the economy. Now that's completely turned around. We've got hardly any manufacturing, it's about 6%. Agriculture is about 2%. Financial services is now the biggest part of our economy. And when they talk about governments building infrastructure, they don't mean the kind of nation... So, so Craig, before, up until the end of the 1970s, Australia, in the post-war period, even in, up through the 70s, was spending 8% of GDP per year on infrastructure, right? You know, th things like the Snowy Mountain Scheme, all those projects that, that we built, real infrastructure, not infrastructure concentrated in capital cities and all that kind of stuff, infrastructure all around the country, Tassie's, Tassie's development schemes around hydro, that's the sort of infrastructure we were building. And 8%, Robbie, is actually low. You need expanding to at least double that on real infrastructure in any real economy. Well, what have we been, and since then, we've been spending maybe 2% mm -hmm. on infrastructure, right? And what we call infrastructure now, where, we, where they're saying, oh, APRA wants the government uh, the RBA has given this money to the banks to fund the government so they can build infrastructure. What, are the, what, what sort of infrastructure? It's all infrastructure concentrated in already overcrowded capital cities. It's catch-up infrastructure on things like, take the suburb of Donnybrook in the northern outskirts of Melbourne, which is an area of great big sheep paddocks, and there's a suburb smack bang right in the middle of it, right, surrounded by all this open land, but the actual suburb itself has all the houses jam-packed together, no backyards, no space between them, right? I, I visited once and thought, this is not Australia. They, they sucker young families into buying these houses because they think that's the only thing they'll ever be able to afford in our market. And then they've got to have this catch-up infrastructure to get the sewerage out there and get the public transport out there and all that sort of thing, right? That's what they call infrastructure now instead of infrastructure that opens up the country, opens up the productive capacity of Australia that can make us a productive economy. Those, those are the differences. And so everything we're seeing at the moment is just propping, rearranging deck chairs to prop up this financial system rather than something that really um, sets the economy up for the future.
Yeah, and Robbie, I think uh, we have a sister program called Citizens Insight, and uh, Glenn Isherwood yep. did a program on the iron boomerang. Now, that's the sort of infrastructure we're talking about, where you, yep. where you take the iron ore from the Pilbara in Western Australia to the Calide Basin, in, uh, in, in the eastern part of Queen, in Queensland there. You, you send the coal from Calide, uh, that, that part of eastern Queensland, to the, to the Pilbara, and you build actual steel mills. Now, that, program's, that project's been on the table since the 70s. It's never been built, but you're talking about massive infrastructure projects yep. that can transform the economy of Australia in just one industry. It's a $70 billion project, Craig. All yeah. they need is the governments of Australia to put up to a quarter of a billion dollars, $250 million, and, it, and it's off to the races. It'll take eight years to complete, and that's the sort of thing that will re Over time, it'll create 500,000 direct and indirect jobs through a reindustrialization of their country. And they're not just you know, cleaning jobs. Or, you know, no, that's clean, right. Not, not that cleaners are, are you know, they're vitally needed, as yeah. we know, but they're, they're engineering jobs. They're highly paid jobs, right? So they're not just unskilled jobs, but they're highly paid jobs uh, that, uh, that, are, that require a lot of skill. And that's what this country needs. Yep. That's the difference. So I, I really recommend people, if you haven't seen it already, watch that on Citizens Insight on the Save YouTube channel as the Citizens Report. Um, Glenn Isherwood talking to Shane Condon about that. It's an excellent project. Look at the website, look at the graphics. And that's the type of thinking that's required. Think big and we can get, around it, get out of this, but that's thinking about the economy and how, it, and how it affects us all rather than the financial system. And that's what we've got to change. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about the gangs sabotaging Australia's hard-working exporters. Welcome back to the Citizens Report. Meet the gang sabotaging Australia's hard-working exporters. Now, Craig, before I begin, I just want to do a plug for our great publication here, the Australian Alert Service. Um, people who haven't received a free copy can call in and get one. Um, this covers in detail the material that we don't have time to go through um, on this show because we're on a time limit. Um, it's got an article a bit there about Iron Boomerang, we are talking about before the break. It's, it's, got, got a, it's got an article about another project, the Clarence River um, scheme, that, that is, would be a great water scheme for Australia. Um, it's got, this week it's got an article, Australia is not a corporation, it's a corporate state for those who have been misled to believe that claim about Australia. A corporate state is, a, is another way of saying we're fascist, but it's not a corporation as you've been told. And the, the other one is this article that I'm going to be referring to now, which is called China Narrative Part 3, Espionage and Interference. Because that's what this subject now is about. The gangs sabotaging Australia's hard-working exporters are the people who have destroyed our relationship to China because this week it's sunk to an all-time low. Now, before we get into details and you throw everything at us in the comments about being shills and all this kind of stuff, let's have a disclaimer. <laughs> um, to the idiots, sorry, I've lost patience with you, who say we must be funded by China, we absolutely aren't. And Craig does all the books. Craig has to comply with the Electoral Commission audits, etc. It's all there. It's all transparent. It's all able to be checked. Robbie, I don't think I'll get away with it. If I told <laughs> how could we be funded? We've got a phone team here that works you know, six days a week yeah, yeah, raising yeah. funds from individual, individual people. And a lot of these, the people will be watching the show. There's no way yeah, I could get yeah. away with that. Even if it, if it, now, if it wasn't it, true. I, I, I hate even having to say it, Craig, but we're gonna, I, I, you know, people keep saying it because they can't believe that we would have such a contrary view 
to their prejudiced one about China. But our view hasn't changed, Robbie. Exactly. And, and the problem is a lot of people come to our program, to our shows, they haven't got a clue about the historical references that we're talking about. And I think just, just to, 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 to throw this in this point, if people don't know about the British ideology of the zero-sum game, that there's always a winner and there's always a loser, right? If they, if they believe that that's true, then they, it's just proof of their brainwashing. Yeah. And, that's, you know, and people say, well, what, what are you talking about? Well, if you don't know what we're talking about, you have no clue as to how geopolitics, British geopolitics works. And the fact is that's a complete lie. And what we, the policy that we support towards China is Xi Jinping's win-win policy. That there doesn't have to be a winner and a loser, but everyone can win if there is mutual cooperation around particularly yeah. economic development. You, you don't have to have a, you, everyone lives on a street and it doesn't automatically mean that for someone on the street to be rich, someone has to be poor. That's right. Everyone on the street can be rich, right? Everyone on the street can progress. The world can work the same way. But British geopolitics, you're right, Craig, is divide and conquer. It's saying, oh, that country's, pro that country's rise um, is a threat to us. We've got to play them off against that country, that sort of idea. And, and it kills people. Well, it, it creates wars, Robbie. Exactly. And that's the whole problem. In history, this is the policy that creates wars and they're deliberate wars. Yeah. So I just uh, another part of the disclaimer, <laughs> um, I just want to make the point, Craig, that if you and I had been the government of Australia for the last 30 years, not only would Australia have no problems, because, of course, we know we have the solution to everything, <laughs> um, but specifically, we would never have allowed our country to become so dependent on one country as we are on China. We just wouldn't have allowed it. We would never have destroyed our manufacturing. We would never have sold off our public assets, including the Port of Darwin, right? We would never have done those things, but we would still be doing business with China because we would not, be let, we would not let mass-murdering warmongers talk us into believing China is our enemy, right? But we would, not, we would not have been the people that sold out our economic sovereignty like so many people are concerned about. So just get that straight about the Citizens' Party as well. That's a matter of 30 years' record, Robbie. Exactly. Go back to original Sovereign Australia One policy, uh, you know, which was the idea of mutual cooperation development, developing our country physically, being reliant on partners to do that, you know, bringing in technology which we didn't have. It's all a matter of record. Yep. But this is directly opposed to the idea that Australia should be just a quarry, we should not develop ourselves, we should have a very small population and never invest in infrastructure that's important. Yep. All right, so with that disclaimer, which taken a bit, let's take a quick break and for the last um, segment we'll go through the details. Welcome back to the Citizens Report, where we're discussing Meet the Gang Sabotaging Australia's Hardworking Exporters. And we gave the disclaimer before the break, so if you haven't seen it, go back and look at that bit. But here's the, here's the detail. So this week, our relations with China sunk to an all-time low, as evidenced by the fact that two Australian journalists have been rushed out of China. Um, and initially we were told it's because the Chinese authorities wanted to question them. As it happens, they were... The DFAT told them to leave the country, and when the Chinese authorities heard they were getting out of there, they said, hang on, we do want to question these people before they leave because there's a national security investigation going, right? But of course, that's, it has to be bad um, because it's China. However, just reacting to the fact that this does signify how bad our relations, I've got to quote Paul Kelly. Now, Paul Kelly in The Australian is the doyen of the press gallery. He's been as critical of China as anybody. Right, he's up there pontificating about how our values are, are better and you know, all this kind of stuff. We, we keep talking about how great we are, and Paul Kelly does that. He's an establishment mouthpiece, but even he took stock about how bad this is. And he said that on Sky News on Tuesday, he said, Australia must consider its long-term national interest 
and must, quote, stop attacking China day after day, week after week, month after month. And when I heard that, I thought, finally, that's all we've been trying to point out to people, that your views on China, if, you've, if you find yourself bitter and twisted about anything time you hear about China, your views in your mind have been created by a propaganda campaign that has been relentless and incessant for the last few years, and now it's genuinely hurting Australia. And if everything you were told is true, I'd be with you. But our job is to go and check the facts, and almost none of it is true, and therefore we have to correct the record, and we are losing business with this country because of a pack of lies, right? So one example is this, this particular story, because here we see, once again, the brutal Chinese secret police being heavy-handed with Australians. There's an Australian-Chinese journalist up there that they've detained, etc. Oh, how terrible. But only after these two journalists came home this week did we find, did anyone in Australia know that our security service, ASIO, raided Chinese journalists in Australia back in June. And now we've been told that, now that it's, that it's emerged, and it was all kept secret because Australian reporters are not allowed to report on an ASIO operation or else they'll go to jail for 10 years. It was all kept hush-hush. It was the Chinese press who revealed it. Now we're saying, oh, they're not real journos, right? Or, well, they probably are spies. That's why ASIO raided it. Well, you can believe that these Chinese journalists probably are spies to justify that. But if you believe that, and that's fine, do not rule out that the Australian journalists in China probably are spies too. In fact, this week, the, 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 um, the Australian Financial Review had an article about how a famous ABC journalist, the most famous foreign correspondent, for decades was a spy, right? Spies are in the, in the media fraternity everywhere. And if we don't like Chinese journalists spying on us, China has every right not to like it in the, when the shoe's on the other foot. But in the time we've got left, I want to identify the players. We've put it in this article. Um, these are the players. There's a handful of people working with foreign governments that have turned, that have created this. And it started in America when America changed its foreign policy to China. Back in 2016 in the, in the Obama administration, they declared suddenly that China and Russia were greater threats to America than the ISIS head choppers. It was a bizarre, shocking thing to say, but they said it. That's continued in the Trump administration. They produced this. They overhauled their national security policy to say China is our number one enemy. And Australia's had to follow along. How did they get Australia to follow along? Because we're in a tough position. It's our biggest market, right? Well... ASIO is the first player. ASIO is part of the Five Eyes, which is dominated by CIA and MI6. ASIO has been behind all this disinformation about China. The second one is ASPE, the Australian Strategic Policy Institute. Every news report you see nowadays about China in the press comes from this organisation. They do nothing but talk about China. They put up all this garbage analysis and it's repeated as if it's gospel every day in the press, right? ASPE, and they're funded by the United States State Department and NATO. They're a foreign-funded entity pumping this out every day in the Australian press, but they've got Australian in the name. Clive Hamilton, who is the author of the book Silent Invasion, is one of them. Aspie co-wrote his, his damn book, and it made all these wild allegations that we've looked at in detail, and they're almost all completely untrue. Um, people like John Garneau, who was Malcolm Turnbull's advisor, when, which, when Malcolm Turnbull led Australia's sudden turn against China, 
it to align with American foreign policy. And John Garneau is a consultant to Aspie as well and close with um, ASIO. And the other two people are Nick McKenzie from 60 Minutes who does all these sensational stories and he's been sued a hundred times because most of them are garbage. And of course, Andrew Hasty in the Liberal Party in Parliament keeps repeating all their stuff in Parliament. He's the head of the Intelligence Committee. This is the gang. They're destroying our markets. People should be angry about this. So we're out of time. Call in for a copy of the alert service to get the details. Tune in next week for more of the Citizens Report.